Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Seminole Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Pellerin, along with our analyst, John Marchant, Juan Montalvo. Uh, last week, we said we'd probably talk some recruiting and whatever was new on the coaching carousel. I, I, I don't think this is what we expected, but uh, the last 48 hours in Tallahassee have been quite a time, to say the least. The sun rose on signing day, Wednesday, with offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham headed to Oregon. Rumors of Travis Hunter flip began swirling obviously those turned out to be true as the nation's top recruit left the Seminoles at the altar to sign with one of Florida State's all-time greats Deion Sanders in Jackson State that then birthed an hours-long fire Mike Norvell Twitter space if you don't know what that is just it's like a sports radio show but on Twitter and anyone can start it it's it's basically a message board and a tweet oh but it did pull over 6,000 people in there at one time you then had Marvin Jones Jr., the blue chip pass rusher from South Florida, choose UGA over FSU. And it just felt like a series of gut punches in a row, basically all day Wednesday. It did close with obviously the ability for Norvell and the crew to rebound. They, they get the commitment from Julian Armella, the legacy offensive lineman, who's a five-star, four-star, depending on where you look. Uh, he announces his commitment formally when it looked like he was maybe going to wait till February to actually do so. This morning, they actually, the man most responsible for that momentum, uh, Alex Adkins, offensive line coach, gets to add offensive coordinator to his title. And then he also picked up a commitment from uh, Wisconsin transfer at center, all in a 48 hour span. And I think it's been, you could call it a roller coaster at least. Uh, and it's a lot. Uh, but, and I feel like it's all connected, right? Everything you can see the domino effect kind of fall together. And so with that, I want to take a different approach. Normally, we follow kind of a segmented show. Um, but I think with the news of this, I just a free flowing bounce around, look at everything because obviously people are crushed with losing Hunter yesterday. Uh, others think maybe it's just a speed bump and we just keep rolling. It's part of it. It's still a great class. But, but I think we have to look at where this team stands, where this program stands, where this athletic department stands with, with the changes that college football is obviously facing with NIL and what it takes to compete at that national level. All of it is very topical, but obviously I think it all starts with that spiral at the Travis decision, the Travis Hunter decision. So simply what happened and where does FSU go from that point? So I think that the Travis decision, um, the Travis Hunter decision was something that it was completely unexpected um, for the FSU staff um, from, from our sources they, there was basically an indication the night before signing day, Tuesday night, that, you know, there were, he, he was having some uh, concerns and looking at another, another opportunity that may have been a better opportunity. Um, at that time, the Florida State staff assumed it was Georgia. Um, without getting into too much details and into rumors and, you know, things that you hear through weird sources and all those sort of things, um, Long story short, everyone who listens to this podcast obviously will have paid attention to the unfolding events of 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. yesterday with Travis Hunter going from, okay, you know, uh, yeah, Florida State's comfortable. Florida State's now uncomfortable. Uh, 
Jackson State popped up in the mix somewhere there. Uh, right around 10.30 in the morning yesterday, I bought Penn National stock because uh, they own Barstool Sports. <laughs> and I realized, okay, well, this may be an opportunity to get a little bit of a bump. Didn't happen in the stock market. Uh, it happened for Jackson State, obviously. Um, but first of all, the one thing I really want to get back to with Travis Hunter is Florida State's not going to miss Travis Hunter as a player. He should have been a three-star. He is one of the mildest most uh, un, uh, unheralded recruits the Florida State's ever uh, had on, the, on their commit lists. No, it's a big loss. Um, he's a guy who could have come in immediately, and he would have been the best player on the team, realistically. Um, he would have been the best receiver. He would have been the best defensive back. He is an athlete that is a better athlete than Jer- Derwin James, who's currently on the television playing for, for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. And, you know, it's it's a blow. Um, there's no doubt about it. But I think you can't really discuss the Travis Hunter thing with like you were saying, Brian, without just the wider ramifications of how things like this are going to affect college football and Florida State in general. Um, this, I think, is a particularly one off sort of deal. Uh, there's not many HC, uh, HBCUs or FCS schools or even a group of five schools that have a superstar as a head coach you know i mean someone of Deion sanders stature i mean not just a hall of famer but like an all-time great uh you know two-sport athlete i mean unless bo jackson went and coached somewhere you really don't have a parallel and, and bo doesn't have the personality of, of Dion either no and Dion has a great personality um in in certain contexts uh he is not known as a nice person he's a he's he's known as being selfish and this isn't just sour grapes i mean he's he is known as a selfish guy. Um, I don't think it's unfair to say that. He probably, you know, wouldn't say much different. Um, but one thing that was always said was, you know, he had he has the character prime time, obviously. But Dion was always one of the hardest workers when he was at Florida State. He or he was the hardest worker at Florida State. Mickey Andrews always said it. Bobby Bowden always said it. Uh, you asked you asked Bobby Bowden who was the hardest worker at practice. It's Dion Sanders. He he was there before anyone else. Left after everybody else. Um, look, he's a Florida State legend. You know, this episode may tarnish, tarnish uh, one particular FSU fan signed Deion Sanders jersey, which got burned yesterday, um, which was one of the more 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 amusing moments of, of signing day. But it's really it's really a unique situation because you have a superstar of that stature, who also also another unique situation is that he is co-employed not just as a head coach, but as an analyst for Barstool Sports on their NFL shows. And I think that he gets on to some of their college football shows as well. So he he has two jobs, and one of them is being employed by a media company who is driven by ad revenue, um, who is also owned by a sports book. So you have a really unique, interesting situation there. Um, and I don't know that it's really going to be a repeatable thing that you see on a regular basis in terms of the number one player going to a school of the stature of Jackson State. Uh, but you can certainly see where these sort of NIL deals and all that sort of stuff can attract kids to schools that may not otherwise have been on their radar. Yeah, um, I, I have to agree with you. I think it is. I think it is more of a one-off. I think there's a lot of situations here that, you know, it's not that different than, for example, like, you know, when Ole Miss lands a top 10 class out of nowhere, you know, and they had a whole bunch of really unique relationships, those kids uh, to that staff 
at that at that time period. And then, yeah, you know, or North Carolina, they do that too. They'll jump in with a top 10 class and then, you know, all their other classes are in the 30s or 40s. So, I, I mean, I think Travis Hunter, look, I don't follow recruiting that much um, for a lot of reasons, but I think Travis Hunter, obviously, you know, from his own words, really, he wanted to make history. Uh, I think going to an HBCU uh, was important to him. And he also chased the money and that's nothing wrong with that. Any of those things really. And I think it's, I mean, yeah, Florida state ends up on the, Oh, you know, left holding a bag um, that they had for him, but cause someone else had someone bigger, but uh, it's how it goes. You know, it, look, Florida state has come on five and seven. If you really want to take the full optimist, look at this. They probably shouldn't have been in the running for the number one overall recruit in the country in the first place. Uh, so it was kind of fantastic. But it does hurt that, you know, he seemed fully locked in and repeatedly, you know, said over and over again he was committed. And, uh, you know, again, I don't I don't begrudge him. I, ho- I hope he got the money up front. Um, but uh, I don't I don't think it's it hurts because he would have transformed your program. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're trying to rebuild right now and he could have been a transformative we already know, like Juan had illustrated, he's a transcendent talent on the field. But he really could have been that for the program. And, uh, yeah, that hurts. You know, it, Florida State, you cannot speculate whether they would have – I mean, he could have maybe pushed you a little bit faster along that track to, to being where you want to be. And uh, so I think that's the real loss here. But, you know, all in all – life goes on um they landed a a pretty solid good class all things considered Uh, i believe it was top 15 so um for me you know i it's just uh i don't know i I didn't get the freak out a lot of other fan base did i I do think it that's going to be the moment on a national level that i think college football as a whole looks back and says okay yeah the game has definitely changed and i think it has but uh I just don't think it's in the end that um, I don't know. I just think 10 years from now, it won't be that big of a deal. One thing I do want to add before we move on um, regarding the Tyler Hunter thing, and you alluded to it was basically, yes, uh, it's transformative for the program um, to have a kid like that. And I think really the place that they'll, they'll feel the hurt the most is he's a guy who, you know, just like LaMarcus Joyner and Jeff Luke in their 2010 recruiting class, he's the guy that helps bring in more players. And he right. he was one of the top recruiters for this Florida State class. I mean, the first the first facts that came across uh, was five-star defensive back Sam McCall, who, who did not have a lot of positive things to say about Travis Hunter, despite Travis Hunter being the guy that was instrumental in helping him, you know, commit to Florida State. So yep. you really have, you know, the, the, the loss of the recruiting impact of getting not just number, number one overall player, but he was one of the highest ranked uh, players in the modern recruiting era. Like he wasn't just number one. He was of the, let's say, 21 number one uh, guys of the rival era, rivals era. He was among the, what, top three, top five that they've ever rated, that 24-7's ever rated. I mean, he yeah. he was, you know, all-time, all-timer time all level type recruit. I mean, he is going to be a hit wherever he ends up after Jackson State because I don't think that's going to last forever. 
Um, and yeah, Florida State's going to miss him, and I think they'll miss him in in on the recruiting trail from that perspective. So I think it's a blow in that sense. Um, Florida State really, and I think where I, where I, where I sort of want to go with this as we keep moving moving around a little bit is that you know you John and I have talked about this a few times on the air and a lot more off the air. Uh, this roster's talent has dropped significantly. Um, you know, it, it went from being roughly 55% blue chips when Willie Taggart got his contract signed and all that to uh, now it's down in the, I think, mid thirties, mid, mid yeah. to high thirties, I recall correctly. 30, 34%, um, I think. Yeah. So um, it, it, you need to be around 50%. You need to sign about 50% blue chips on a regular basis they signed at this point 40% after the Armella commitment. Um, if I recall correctly, off the top of my head, uh, 40%, you know, obviously it's not bad for, for, for where this team is, where this program is at this time. Um, you know, I would still probably give it a, a, a B, B minus type class at this point. Um, but for, you know, for anyone who thinks that, this is a roster that's going to be able to compete for conference championships on a regular basis. It's just not there. I mean, sure. They, they, they're currently ahead of Miami who had a coaching turnover and they're currently ahead of, of Florida for this class, but both of those programs are considerably ahead in terms of where their rosters are. And of course you're going to see a lot of transfers with new coaches and all that, but um, and a transition class is always, is always painful, but um they need to they the make or break for Mike Norvell is going to be the next the next two classes the next two years. I mean, he's going to have a pretty solid roster that's not really going to that's not going to be fifty percent blue chips in the twenty twenty three football year. Uh, but he 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 really needs that year to be like an eight nine ten win type season, or that's probably going to be it for him. Yeah, I I um. I would even argue too, or you could, I think, reasonably argue that the blue chip percentage isn't a real 34% either. I, I mean, if you look at the development of, of the players in this program over the last several years, I mean, Norvell, I think this last season was the real first season that we saw a uh, tangible proof of player development. I, you know, we lost uh, a year because of COVID. Yeah, two years of Willie Taggart. I don't think there's really that much player development going on. And I think for at least the last year of Jimbo Fisher's tenure, there, there wasn't. So we're talking at least five, five years. These kids haven't really gotten the coaching and the development that they really need up until very recently. So even if on paper it might be 34%, I think really it's tangibly lower than that. Because um, you had some, some talented blue chip guys that really haven't given you much. So, uh, yeah, I think 40% might end up being a big step up if this staff can, can really maximize their talent. But at the same time, it really – my benchmark for them was 50%, and they didn't meet it. So, um, yeah, I – you know, I, I was I, – I had said before on air that I think Norvell should get till after the 2024 season, but the way it's looking right now is, I mean, you, you got to get the classes in and – you needed three, four straight years of over 50% re- blue chip recruiting to really start to be where you want to be. And uh, it just, they didn't quite 
they didn't get there. And uh, that's tough because, you know, it slows down every year. You don't, you don't do that. You slows down your, your rebuild. And uh, yeah, I think the, the, the expectation next year will be making a bowl game. And then 2023 is really going to, like you said, one, I think it's really going to be uh, that make or break season. Well, in looking at this class, a, a couple of things too, right? So this is early signing day. So it's not finished. They've only got 16 guys in at this point, seven out of the 16, like you guys talked about a blue chip. They still have February um, to, to potentially add to that. Obviously, like we've talked about many times, the transfer portal is part of it. Um, my two things, one is you, is you, if you look at that class, which is currently 247's composite rankings has it 13th, which as you guys mentioned is ahead of Florida. It's ahead of Miami. It's ahead of Clemson. I think quick glance, I think it's second in the ACC. Yeah, second in the ACC to, to North Carolina. I, I mean, if Travis Hunter was never part of this class, I think the perception is totally different, obviously, of a, of a Mike Norvell's second year landing a 13. But the perception now is you could have and maybe should have had him because he's been part of this class for so long. This was the Travis Hunter class. My problem there being, though, you he leaves you, like I said, at the altar. So you have the benefit of the class doesn't completely crumble around him. But you also didn't have the chance to really, uh, I guess, adjust to it. You kind of just got like last minute, like, hey, he's th- looking somewhere else. And then boom, it was just gone. So I think the perception is partly fair where he's committed for so long where you end up losing him, but also – I, I like you guys have said it's a unique situation and you know we've alluded to it the, the reports are again this is all speculation we don't know this to be fact but um, reports were that Barstool had given him a 1.5 million dollar deal NIL deal to play there or 2 million somewhere in the 1.5 to 2 million dollar range um, today Dion said that's that's not true I couldn't possibly coach a kid who gets paid more than me um, you know stop spreading the lies Again, I don't know which of the two is correct. I could see exactly why a a kid going to Jackson State would get uh, bashed with a lie. And I could also see why it benefits Dion to come out and say, no, that's not true, if it was true. Um, But I think it's all a matter of perception on how this class has fallen, because it is really good. I mean, 13th at this point is a great spot for a team that's five and seven and hasn't I mean, if you look at the last five years, put really anything out there that is exceptional to bring in that type of class. I, I just, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, it's the way you look at it. And I think that's the really important thing here is, you know, this is not, this is not a bad class. And, you know, I think yeah. the Travis Hunter thing obviously is, is the one that's going to stick with everybody the most for obvious reasons. I mean, it was the most notable piece of news on signing day. By a long shot. Yeah. <laughs> it's the biggest story in college anything. football. Yeah. It's, it, it, I mean, we got an ESPN alert for it. I mean, it's which does not happen for college football recruiting ever um, in, in any sense. So, yeah. uh, you know, they, they for them to end up 13th at this point, and like you said, yes, it's the, the class is not over. But for all intents and purposes, 99% of the, you know, 99% right. of the hay is in the barn. Um, but I think, you know, looking at it, if you were to ignore the 
elephant in the room. Um, it's a good class. I mean, overall, they they met most of their needs. They did not meet their needs at receiver, uh, which is a frustrating point. Um, they had they they lost Von Mortimer to Louisville uh, yesterday, I think around nine o'clock or something like that. Uh, the, the the morning was sort of occupied, obviously, with the Travis Hunter news. Yeah, that would um, snuck so through. Timeline, yeah, the timeline in my head is all pretty much based around the Hunter stuff. Uh, yeah. But uh, the the class overall is a good class, and I think, you know, they, 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 they did – well, they didn't hit the 50% number. They're at 40%, and it's not where you need to be to be successful, but – for a team coming off of of what I think a total of eight wins in two years, um, for for them to finish their team after what was a really bad signing day is not that bad because I mean they 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 had chances on multiple kids on signing day. Um, let's run through that real quick. So Tyre West, uh, he he committed to to Georgia in the morning. He was a well flipped I suppose to Georgia. He was a Georgia commit. Every, or most folks were expecting him to sign with Florida State until I would say 7.38 in the morning or something like that. Um, and then the winds started to change on that one. They missed on a legacy in Marvin Jones Jr. Um, I texted with his father yesterday and congratulated him and got the dreaded THX thanks uh, <laughs> as a response. <laughs> some some and, old head texts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so he, he – uh, he, he was, you know, happy and proud of his son for making a decision for himself. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't go in the way that Florida State fans wanted. But, you know, you, you, you lose Marvin Jones Jr. You lose Devon Mortimer. You lose Tyre West. I mean, ignore the Travis Hunter part. Signing day, the signing day itself went poorly. Uh, let's, yeah. let's be frank. It was, it was a bad close. Um, there's questions about this staff. Uh, some of the guys that Mike, Mike, ha- Mike Norvell has on the staff, Ron Dugans, uh, lost their only blue chip receiver in the class. Uh, he has completely underwhelmed as a coach. He's underwhelmed drastically as a recruiter as well. Um, you know, all the complaints about drops that, uh, Miami fans had about him when he was there, they're proving very true, uh, at Florida state now, um, he may be a legacy. He may pl- have played on national championship teams, but I don't think he's shown anything that would make it worthwhile to extend him. Um, and obviously, you know, it's it's always tough to to say bad things about Odell Higgins, who's an excellent ambassador for the Florida State program, uh, loved by all accounts by the kids. Not a bad recruiter. He's hit and miss. I mean, he when Odell gets his his tentacles in, for lack of a better way to put it, on kids, like he he usually holds on. And, you know, the, the, the Tyre West uh, situation wasn't exactly like a Marvin Austin situation, like what happened with uh, UNC back in the, I think it was Blake Davis was the, no, John Blake was the defensive line coach who probably hasn't had a job since after that NCAA investigation. Um, but so, you know, you, you had a bad close and I think some of it has to do with some of the NIL stuff. I think, Florida State's finding out that they're further behind than they expected on the NIL stuff. Um, you know, earlier this this year, we talked about Florida State's Apex NIL stuff that they had put out and how they appeared to be ahead of the game. Just a few short months later, you know, I think it's pretty clear they're behind the eight ball. Um, they weren't able to close on some of the higher profile prospects. 
And I think part of it in, in that same vein, and I, I can touch right back to you, but politically, uh, you know, quite frankly, I know DeSantis and, and the state legislature were, were trying to be ahead of the game on NIL. I think it was 2020 um, when they went and passed the legislation and put a bill in place for players to use it. But I think that really obviously has turned out to almost backfire because when the NCAA then said, okay, green light, go states that didn't have those laws is just wide open, go for it. Whereas Florida is now legislatively trying to go back and undo what they've already done. Um, Obviously that's not Florida state's fault, but it does impact the entire state of recruiting. And just a quick legislative side note on that. My, my wife works in the process and, and, um, the 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 author of the bill for the NRL last year, the past, and and went into effect, and is the, the law in Florida. Uh, Chip Lamarca, he already submitted a a bill, basically making some changes to Florida State's uh, Florida State to the state of Florida's NIL laws, uh, basically right. you know helping, for lack of a better way to put it, for Florida's law be more competitive. So. There's already legislative uh, proposals, which, you know, session isn't going to happen until January. Um, but, you know, that law won't go into effect probably until July 1st, 2022nd, if it gets changed. Uh, so you'll you, you'll probably see those changes happen. Um, I don't think the state of Florida is necessarily significantly behind. That being said, they you yeah. know, tried to put themselves in a position to be ahead um, and, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying it backfired, but they definitely uh, were one of the early leaders. And, you know, that while there was a bit of a first mover advantage, I don't think Florida State really capitalized to the point that they needed to or realized what point they needed to be at to capitalize on it. Um, it, it you know, I spoke with someone who works on the Alabama staff last night uh, that basically they uh, they're 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 not playing the same game we are with regards to the the nil stuff and i'm certainly not say, accusing them of any sort of impropriety or anything like that shoot it's legal now i mean literally uh, legal and allowed by the ncaa i mean both both with real law and fake law it's allowed so i mean they're they're just a, uh, you know these some of these bigger schools that fsu competes with in the southeast for these kids the tire west of the world the marvin jones of the world they're a little bit ahead. And I think they, uh, their, their resources and the resources of the, the folks that surround the program and are going to be involved in these sort of deals are a little bit better. Um, Lane Kiffin, you know, obviously he's coaching at Ole Miss now and he's competing against the biggest of the biggest, you know, with, with, in his division, he's got Auburn, Alabama, LSU, just in his division and A&M, obviously. A&M. Yeah. I mean, number one and number two classes are in his division. Um, and they're, they're, they obviously struggled to, to compete with those, those level of schools. Uh, Jimbo Fisher and his staff are well ahead. Nick Saban, as you'd expect, is at the forefront. Um, they're just doing it. Kirby Smart as well at Georgia. They're, they're doing a better job of executing it. Well, and that's your point about Florida State yesterday kind of being a – I don't know the word for it um, – just the cold water realization that they're much further behind than, I don't know, maybe they thought that they were. And you're facing this kind of war on several different fronts to your point, right? So you have, you have a coaching staff who 
many of them are not pulling their weight on the trail. Uh, I think I read in the Tomahawk Nation Slack that was it Atkins pulled in nearly half of all Florida State's blue chippers um, in this recruiting class. Out of a nine-man staff, yeah, out of a nine-man staff, you've got one guy who's doing nearly half of all your blue chips, right? Um, and in that environment, you have Florida or the state of Florida, the state schools within Florida are behind on name, image, likeness, and what they can offer uh, recruits. But you also have Florida State being stuck in the ACC with uh, an extremely horrific grant of rights deal extended through, I believe, 2036 that Swafford uh, locked them into right before he walked out the door into his own sunset with every other conference having to redo their uh, TV revenue deals in 2024, 2025, 2026, and I think 2027. And not just college football conferences, but also the professional sports leagues, Florida, uh, the, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the National Hockey League, all of these, not just the uh, conferences, but all of these professional sports leagues are all redoing their TV revenues at the same time. Uh, and they're all going to get massive, massive increases in revenue. And the ACC is not. And you're going to have schools like Maryland or Rutgers in the Big Ten pulling in tens and tens of millions of dollars of more money than Florida state. And I, so that's why I think alarming is, is the correct word. It's not, it's obviously not too late. Florida state has time, but I think that they woke up um, at the middle of Wednesday and really this morning, hopefully understanding that, they are far, far behind and you have to, you have to make moves to, and some of it's outside of Florida state's control. I know they probably, they can't afford to sue their way out of the grant of rights until, I don't know, several years down the road, but you got to do something. Yeah. I mean, again, going back to the Travis Hunter thing, right. Is we had heard rumors of Georgia offering him one and a half, 1.7 million. And then Jackson state through Barstool offering him 2 million. And I, I don't know what Florida State was offering, but it wasn't those things, obviously, right? Because if, if Florida State, right. So it's a real problem. And again, I do think part of what, what happened with Travis Hunter is a, a more of a one-time deal. But if this is the game going forward, you're going to have to play it. If you want to compete and be where you want to be, if you don't want to turn in what Miami has been for the last 20 years or what Nebraska has been for the last 20 years. Um, obviously I don't think Florida State is bad off as Nebraska. And, and when the full breakaway to, you know, they break away from the NCAA form their own league happens, Florida State will hundred percent be included. My concern though, is if that happens uh, too far from now, I worry how far Florida State will have fallen by then if they can't find a way to remain competitive in this environment. I think that's a very fair point. And I'm, I think it speaks to sort of, let's 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 get you know florida state centric for lack of a better term not that we haven't been but um you know florida state has been notoriously slow to change in the last 15 years or so i mean jimbo dragged them out of the dark ages i mean it took it took forever for him to be able to just to to, to get to get the boosters at the time when andy miller was there and when, when randy spetman and stan wilcox were the athletic directors to to really you know find or spend any money on the sort of facilities that are needed to compete. 
look, you don't need, you know, we've, we've joked about it in the past, but you don't need a water slide like Clemson has in your football facility to be competitive, but you, you can't have a 15 year old shabby locker room that kids are coming into and looking at and saying, well, am I, <laughs> am I going to be going to Jackson state or, uh, or, 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 you know, it's, they go to Alabama or Clemson and they come to Florida state and it looks more like Jackson state than, than it does Alabama. Um, that's been improved. Uh, the indoor practice facility, you know, Al Dunlap donated, I think a third of the money for that. Uh, he's passed away since obviously, but they don't have, they don't have the whales that they need for those big, big improvements. And really it's, it's incumbent upon uh, Michael Alford, uh, whoever replaces him at Seminole boosters, the uh, uh, president McCullough and the, the key members of the board of trustees who were all involved in these larger football decisions to say, Hey, look, we're behind the eight ball. Cause we are, it's that simple. I mean, right. Yesterday is just an indicator of that and a lagging indicator. I mean, Jimbo, Jimbo was infamous for <laughs> uh, uh, being rude, uh, obviously to a lot of the folks in the building because they were they weren't doing a good job. I mean, they Jimbo handled it poorly, sure, and he he did not ingratiate himself well with a lot of the the people that had been there a long time. But that's the problem. He he wasn't doing it just for the sake of wanting to spend money. I mean, he wanted to improve the football program because it directly correlated to his success at the football program. Um, you know, there's a lot right. of reasons why he left town that isn't necessarily, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back or anything like that, but um, delaying the football only facility for uh, improvements in, in, you know, projects like college town and things like that, where the Seminole boosters are playing more long-term, which is understandable. And, and I think it's worked out really well. I mean, let's put it this way. They, they have made their money on college town and then stuff. I mean, it's become a revenue generator for them in many ways. Uh, you can, you can go through property records and all that sort of stuff and find that out very quickly. Um, and you know, they've improved their revenue year to year. I mean, they're, they're, they're getting there slower than Jimbo ever wanted. And, you know, I'm not saying you don't need to be doing projects like college town, which help long-term, you know, have great long-term ROI and really do help you build those sort of numbers, but they need, they need more people donating. Um, you know, there was obviously a big push when, when Mike Norvell came in, Hey guys, to, to be successful, the boost. And when, when Mike Alford came in to be, to be successful boosters need, they need help. They need people to actually donate. They need, you know, if you're going to watch on TV and, and yell at the TV and complain about the state of the program, the best way to help it improve is to donate to the boosters. And, you know, obviously, you know, a $500 contribution may not seem like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, Clemson has their IPTA program that has blossomed into, you know, their alumni being active members of their booster program. So they really have been, behind the eight ball and needing to modernize for a long time. They've taken great strides because they were way behind, you know, when Jimbo came in way, way, way behind. Um, and they've improved. There's still a long way to go. And, you know, I mean, it, it culminates in events like yesterday where you find yourself, you know, sucking hind tit on a lot of these things. And I think what you what you look at, and like you mentioned, the, the development and all that, it, it, it's great. But when you look at what you're competing with, 
to be an upper echelon football program, I mean, these schools are pumping every dollar they've got it to it. I mean, and obviously I, I have more experience in the LSU in the LSU front of it. But I mean, just today, one of the most outspoken professors at LSU posted a, a whole write-up about how LSU's library has been crumbling for 20 years. There's just drapes all over the place. It's a disaster. And we just handed a football coach $9.5 million and there's easy incentives to push them over 10 million. And it's, you know, it's just flatly giving up. I mean, LSU is using, they were using a hospital to funnel uh, hospital charity to funnel money to coaches or recruits parents. It's and Miami taking COVID pandemic profits and funneling it into the football program. It's gross. It's gross, but it's, it's what it takes to win. And my question is, as we hit this this era where it's going to be above the table, it's going to be public companies saying, yeah, I'm not afraid to get involved because, yeah, before it was shady under the table, I needed to be a booster. But you know what? I'm Barstool or I'm, I don't know, Peloton or whatever. And I'm just going to pump $5 million into this kid because I want him to be my future spokesperson. Can FSU compete with that? I mean, if they if they find the right partners, um, you know, I think they need to be creative about it. I don't think that you're going to be able to get, for example, uh, one of the biggest, well, I'm not going to discuss the biggest booster that's always involved in stuff, but let's say, for example, you know, Al Dunlap, he can't bankroll an entire program himself. Right. Um, you don't have, this isn't, this isn't Oklahoma State. You don't have T. Boone Pickens writing a check every time something gets asked for. It's pulling teeth every time they need an improvement, which is... Not how, you know, you are ever going to be able to be competitive in these, these spheres. I mean, the, the one thing that I think, you know, one last thing for me on the Travis Hunter thing is, like you mentioned, Barstool, Barstool is owned by a publicly traded company, an S&P 500 company. They are, they have the money to do whatever the hell they want. And, you know, realistically, that's, while there's no announced NIL deal, uh, the, 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 the rumors are, you know, a large sum of money in his deal, plus a reality show and all that sort of stuff. So there, that obviously is a unique situation where they have an employee who happened to be a head coach, who was a superstar, like I mentioned, but you're going to see, and you're going to need more and more things like that to go your way. Look, you're going to be able to sign, let's say a, uh, Who's who's like the most average player in the class? Uh, <laughs> that seems unfair. I mean, one of the worst players in LSU's like 2017 class was Justin Jefferson, and he's one of the best kids in the country. Tough, tough to name a kid and put him on there. You want to? Yeah, I can just grab a random one. It, let's not name a name, but uh, you know, yeah. let's say your 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 median player. He's not going to be getting a, a million dollar contract. Uh, yeah. These kids are not all going to be getting paid significant sums. To get to the to, to get those top thirty kids who are going to be six figures realistically every time here, you have to commit. I mean, you have to commit to those sort of sums. You have to commit to those sort of programs. Um, I don't know how Florida State gets to that point. That's way out of the scope of what we're able to really learn or know or influence in in any scope. Uh, but you know, it's 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 a critical it's a critical aspect of the new reality of college football. I mean, that I think the, the reverberations from, from the Travis Hunter thing, you know, are going to continue throughout college football and, you know, it, it's going to put a much wider, wider focus on 
the money side of college football. I mean, a lot of a lot of coaches are already saying they don't like having the early signing day. They're talking about, um, you know, how how difficult and how how much of the changes of the NIL stuff are going to impact the game, um, which, you know, a little bit of that is some sour grapes, obviously, uh, you know, some Correct. folks not, not being able to land who they want, that sort of thing. But it's the reality. I mean, it's well, like I said earlier, Lane Kiffin, or I, I don't know if I mentioned, did I mention Lane Kiffin thing on, on air? Or was that, was that in the pre Yeah, no, you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, Lane Kiffin said it, these guys are, they're going to be, uh, they're, they're at a point now where, you know, they're being paid and a lot of these kids are going to get go to where they're going to be paid the most. And if you want to land those kids, you've got to be able to pay them the most. And Florida state doesn't only seem to be behind in that aspect, the direct there, well, indirect, I suppose, compensation of the, the athletes themselves. Um, but they're also behind the facilities and, you know, the, the, the bag men are there, but they're not, quite putting the sums together obviously that need to be there and i don't know how competitive florida state can be in that respect i i just don't know it's it's really hard to know on a macro basis i mean i don't think you're going to see florida state sign a number one class you know when you have these sort of challenges against you and it's clear that you're not able to compete on those yeah and i, and I think when you look um it, it's, it comes in everything, you know, it's the ability to get me to the NFL. It's, it's all part of it. And you have the ability through social media to be your own brand. I mean, you know, even, even the guy who makes your video edits for the program is critical in this type of thing. I do want to put the Jordan, the Jordan, the Travis Hunter stuff to bed here, but I do want one quick question. Yes or no. Maybe a sentence afterwards. Uh, Dion did it to be spiteful. Juan. If I owned a Deion Sanders jersey, I would have burned it too. So you know my answer. <laughs> <laughs> John, spiteful, yes or no? Uh, it's a I hope can't. not, right? It's it's I hope no, not. No, 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 no. It's it's a, I I don't I don't really care. I I really don't. I yeah. mean, you know, I I, I said I before oh, for a while that 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 I think that Deion Sanders really only cares about Deion Sanders. I know Juan said that same thing too. A lot of other people have have kind of picked up on that. Um, I, I don't really care whether he did it to be spiteful or not. I just, uh, wh- whatever, you know, <laughs> hey, it's off. over and it's over and done with. No, yeah. it's not. Cause, cause when I get back to Tallahassee, I'm going to go to the Moore center and I'm going to rip his all American bricks out of the ground with my bare <laughs> hands. I want to see those, those bloody knuckles when you pull it out. It's a true fan. Yeah. Oh, Way to go, Juan. Thank you. Yes. We'll have to report okay. you for vandalism or something, but yeah. But I, I don't to, know to jump back, really spiteful and you know intentionally spiteful, other than the fact that it was you know self self promotional, which is you know what right. what prime time is. That that's who he yeah. is. I mean, you know, I'm not going to begrudge him for that because it's it's become a big factor. It, one of the only reasons he was able to pull off what he did is because of his self promotion skills. I mean. Can't begrudge, him for, I, I, can't begrudge him for being just a general not nice person i've i've run into him in public he is a dick frankly <laughs> well I, I don't i don't think it was spiteful i think if i had two million dollars to throw around at a school like jackson state why wouldn't you go to the top to the player at the top of the list and throw it at him if that's if that's true why wouldn't you go throw it at him it just kind of maybe it was a little added bonus on his shoulder that it was a florida state commit but nonetheless 
I do have the answer for you, John. And, and that kind of leads me in a different direction of what you were talking about with uh, Alex Atkins, 22 overall in the country as a recruiter. Uh, and he pulled six players overall, four of them, four stars. Obviously they're all offensive linemen. Um, you know, today he gets the promotion, offensive coordinator. Clearly he was your best recruiter. Uh, you had Dillingham dip seemingly before the sun even came up on, on signing day, but it seemed like it was in the works pretty early. I, I believe Norvell already had the, the play calling as it was right uh, to begin with, but what do you see, uh, John, is there anything impact-wise there in, in losing Dillingham, moving Atkins up, and maybe the reshuffling around there? I mean, of course there will be. He, he came with Norvell. Uh, you know, Jordan Travis has gotten coaching under, under Dillingham for a couple of years now. Uh, I have mixed thoughts and feelings on Dillingham as an offensive coordinator. I, do, I guess we'll really find out just what he was doing and how good he was or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I am pretty excited about Atkins, though. Unfortunately, some of the national media cannot be quiet about him. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, when he when he gets a head coaching job, I know we're all going to be happy for him. It'll be yet another coach who will get a promotion onto a, a better job uh, underneath Norvell, as did Dan Lanning. By the way, I know we are, some of us were upset that uh, the national media left off that Lanning coached under Norvell for I think six or seven years before he was with. Uh, Kirby Smart of Georgia. Um, I guess I, I also, I believe it was Bruce Feldman had tweeted out that Alex Atkins is now one of only three uh, uh, black, black uh, coordinators. Uh, offensive, coordinators. Off, offensive coordinators. Thank you. Yeah. I believe offense. It, I'll look it up. Right. Well, it is yeah. Offense. Right. Okay. Yeah. One of three black offensive coordinators in the entire country. Um, I think that's very cool. Obviously that number is pathetically low. So I'm very proud of, of Florida State uh, to have one of those guys. Absolutely. Obviously, Alex Atkins is somewhat in the middle of a meteoric rise through the coaching ranks right now. Uh, so I don't know. I'm excited. I, I am a little bit worried, though. You know, you, you put him in offensive coordinator duties. What does that take away from the offensive line, especially after, you know, you just uh, recruited a bunch of kids? Who's going to fill that role? You know, how do they shuffle around the rest of the staff, especially – Hopefully, as we we hope or and or expect that there will be some at least significant changes to the staff um, around Alex Atkins. But um, I don't know. I'm just excited. I want to see who knows. I, you know, he also fits this talent on Florida State's roster right now with a very heavy run based offense. And it, it's what Norvell ran back when he was at Memphis. So I think the fit is very good. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, and I think he 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 certainly is considered one of the brightest the brightest younger minds in college football. He is going to rise up the ranks very very quickly. Like you said, he I I would be shocked if he was not a head coach within three or four years at this point. Um, he's he's a great coach, and it's good for Florida State to have him. He's an excellent recruiter, as you talked about earlier. He landed about half the blue chips that Florida State had almost single handedly. Um, which brings me to the next part of you know. You lost Kenny Dillingham, who was a solid recruiter. Don't really know much about what he was as an offensive coach because he coached under Gus Malzahn at Auburn before coming to Florida State. Uh, and prior to that, obviously, was under Mike Norvell at Memphis. And in the two years he was at Florida State, you could sometimes I, – I don't know a way to say this without, without saying it this way. Um, 
when you you could tell the difference between when Kenny Dillingham was calling a game and when Mike Norvell was calling a game. It's yes. just a different. It's a different flow of plays, and I think the thing that I I noticed at least, and you know, I really haven't. You know, we don't do the play by play film reviews anymore, thank goodness, because it took about four hundred years to do each week. <laughs> uh, but those the, the 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 difference between them as play callers is Mike Norvell is a lot more like Jimbo. He at the beginning of the game is going to be more probing. He's going to look and see what what guys are doing in response to what he's, you know, what he's putting out there. If he runs a particular play from a formation, you know, they're going to, he's in his head, what they did is going to be there for the next time they go to call that same sort of series of plays. So he may think to go to the same play or go to a, go to a counter from that same formation or a, a, a secondary play, et cetera, tag it, all those sort of things. Um, whereas the, so the, 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 so he had that sort of flow throughout the game where it was, it built throughout the game. Um, it seemed like when it was, it was a little bit more just off the sheet, if that makes sense. Um, you know, yep. when, when Kenny Dillon cam was calling plays and I don't mean that necessarily is a bad thing. I mean, you can be a very effective play caller, just running off a sheet, seeing what's working. Um, it's just a different style. And I think I'm more, more partial to the, to the feel type uh, play caller. Um, but anyway, all that is to say, Kenny Dillingham, we don't know that much about him as an offensive coordinator in all reality. Um, right. We do know that, 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 uh, that Jordan Travis improved drastically as a passer. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know that he's ever going to be a, you know, top five college quarterback because of his passing. Um you know, but I think he can get there with with a combination of being a good passer and his legs. But I think the most important thing is that what did we talk about a little bit earlier? Alex Atkins was really the main guy pulling his weight in recruiting, and Ron Dugans, your wide receivers coach, the worst segment on offense, maybe the worst segment on the team, didn't didn't bring anybody in, missed on a couple of guys. Lost a guy on lost a commitment on signing day, you know, in the in, in the week or two leading up to signing day to Louisville, you know, a, an inferior conference rival as a program by all by any metric, really. Uh, so you 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 have a free spot. Uh, they're going to be promoting senior offensive analyst Tony Tokars somewhere on fields. There's no doubt about that. Um, there's going to be also a there potentially, and we'll see if this actually pans out, but I was passing along a, a message that a former former Florida State quarterback is going to be trying to get back on the staff too. Uh, but the, the, the main thing this gives you, it's an opportunity to sort of re, rethink the offensive staff for sure. Um, and maybe bring in a good quarterbacks coach or bring in a new wide receivers coach, but I don't think you can keep Ron Dugans at this point. I don't see what he brings to the table. Um, and this just gives you an opportunity while everything's being shuffled around to, to dump him, leave him on the tarmac somewhere. Yeah, and there's enough, there's enough moving around that I think it matters. One question I do want to ask just cause I, and I don't, I feel like I know the answer, but I, it's one of those things, losing your OC to what appears to be a lateral move at another power five job, anything there that you guys view program wise worth mentioning? No, not at all. It's not a lot of move. I mean, he wasn't really, you know, Mike Norvell is the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator for the state. Let's make no mistake here. Um, in the same way that Jimbo Fisher was, 
until he had a trusted assistant in Randy Sanders, who congratulations to him on just recently retiring uh, from Eastern Tennessee State. Uh, any sort of inclination that that Kenny Dillingham was truly the the offense. It was Mike Norvell's offense. Kenny Dillingham was operating it under his instruction, and I think yeah. that's that's for for Kenny Dillingham's career to move forward. He needed autonomy on offense. Dan Lanning is obviously a defensive coordinator. He's a defensive guy. He's going to get that autonomy. He's going to be the play caller. He's going to be the schemer. He's going to be the game planner. He is going to have that autonomy. And I don't begrudge him for the move at all. And I think the timing on signing day was not really, you know, at first 7.30 or 7.45 in the morning yesterday, I was pretty frustrated about it. But uh, then within 30 minutes, you know, Josh Newberger 24-7 and then the rest of the beat reported that uh, that Alex Atkins was going to be promoted, you know, so clearly it was not a not a secret that he was going to be leaving. You know, it, it, it was discussed for, I don't know, maybe what, a week now that he was going to be joining Lanning. So, I mean, it yeah. wasn't a surprise. The timing kind of was annoying, but then they immediately sort of quelled it with the uh, quash, the quash, the issue with the, the Atkins promotion. So uh, I think uh, that's something that was probably communicated to recruits. It didn't really come as a surprise. So, in that sense, it's not a lateral move at all to me. I mean, it's a big step up to go from being a subordinate offensive coordinator to a standalone, especially, I mean, at a program of Oregon stature. I mean, Oregon is a good program. So, I mean, he, it's not like he's having to step down a level, you know, let's say to go to – SMU. Right, exactly. He's not he's not yeah. stepping down to a group of five offensive coordinator job. He's getting autonomy in power five at, at a you know top three in their conference school. So good for him. Yeah. And you know, he uh when whenever Herm Edwards finally screws it up, I think uh he's gonna be in the running for that Arizona State job. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I, I agree. Yeah, I think Juan's absolutely right. I would have done the same thing. Yeah, he he obviously did it because of uh, he wanted to take that next step in his career to having that autonomy and proving that he can, he can do it on his own. So, and he's a West coast guy. I mean, he's from yeah, Arizona. Yeah. He's been on the West coast forever. It's a logical move for him in his career in many ways. Don't begrudge him for it at all. Good for him. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. I, I fully agree. I just, you know, one of those things where I think I could see where I, I hear some, some people commenting and all that sort of stuff, just put it out there. Speaking of, we did, and I briefly mentioned it earlier, um, the hours-long Fire Mike Norvell Twitter space that has also birthed a <laughs> athletic article, which is mostly about just the idea of a Twitter, college football in a Twitter space. But I think for at least a segment of the population, this, this um, by population, the fan base, right, the, the ones who are excited for this Travis Hunter signing to come through that that does hit as a as an additional loss and I did listen to it I can't I gotta admit I'm a you know I guess I'm a part of the the weirdos who like to listen to the chaos watch the world spin type stuff but a lot of the complaints were we lose to Jacksonville State and then we lose to Jackson State for the best kid we're supposed to have this isn't how it's supposed to work and a lot of people were throwing the records what I coined that one by 10 a.m so somebody stole that there you go it was it was everything that everyone's it was every person who came through well they, every person who came through had to say fire Mike Norvell or he hung up on him but can, can we talk it, about that like whoever the ho- the Sam guy who who was hosting this 
Yeah. Man, I'll tell you what, that guy's a moron. And I hope he's listening because he deserves to hear that he's a moron because he wouldn't let anyone say he's a moron on his little Twitter space. Well, uh, the, I hit the request the button and I was going to say it, but I was like, ah, hey, you know what? It's not worth it. The, the co-host of the podcast for or, or the space for a little while was was uh, Tomahawk Nation site manager, Perry Costadikis, Costadakis, whatever it is. Perry, you know I love you. I can't get your name right. But uh, he was our guy up there running the whole thing. He, he never said fire Mike Marvell for what it's worth. But point being, and, and I think it's worth at least having the conversation, there is a group who's, who's put him in that – Fire Norvell, they're looking at the the Norvell versus Taggart records, and and that that segment of the fan base is definitely real. Is it fair? I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Where 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 did this hit for you in that realm? Does it make him any more or less likely in the future when you obviously just had an extension two days ago? Well, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you that 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 segment of the fan base is real real stupid uh i mean you're talking about some of the dumbest people i've ever heard on that twitter space um including that host guy who so decided to somehow parlay that into some quasi fame on an athletic article uh yeah. i don't know if that was feldman or who it was but that was that was a weird one uh but that's college football and i love love that about college football i mean look this is the sport that had harvey uh harvey harvey oz Updike. Updike, yeah, my buddy, R.I.P. Uh, one of the, one of the most absurd characters in college football history, and there's been a lot of them. But that there's always going to be that segment of the fan base, and you have a lot of people who thought that Willie Taggart wasn't given a fair shake, and you have a lot of national writers who think that he wasn't given a fair shake, and a lot of that seems to uh, dovetail into you know, the fact that Willie Tiger's an African-American coach and that they didn't think that uh, in the same situation necessarily that a white coach per perhaps may not have been as criticized. Watch year two of Willie Taggart front to back and then watch the year two of Mike Norvell front to back. Watch the first game and the last game and you tell me that Willie Taggart improved that team at all. I mean, we t we've talked about uh, – I don't know how many times uh, that we've used the phrase that we steal from John now all the time. Progress isn't linear. Well, there wasn't progress under Willie Taggart. I mean, it was the, – the, the recruiting classes were getting worse. The roster was getting worse. The execution was getting worse. Nothing was getting better at all. There was no progress throughout the year. There was no improvement in any single segment throughout the roster through two years, through two full years, mind you. And for anyone to really compare the two, it's, it's asinine to me. I mean, it, it, it's, it's just really frustrating to even have that conversation. I mean, you, if you really watched, if you're a Florida state fan and you watch this football team this year and didn't see improvement, you should watch it again because there was serious improvement throughout the year. I mean, and if you're listening to us, you've heard us say that, I mean, and it, there's ups and downs. There's, you know, obviously some real lows this year with the Jacksonville State debacle. Uh, but Mike Norvell, uh, he, he had to get an extension. You, you, you had to have an extension because that's how college football works. You always have to have a coach basically on a four-year contract or longer from the time that he's there or they're going to be negatively recruited against. It's not going to cost you anything appreciably extra, two or three million dollars, perhaps, in terms of the buyout funds, because it's like typically what fifty to eighty-five percent, depending on on how that works. So it's something that is a must. 
I mean, you know, the 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 people who who criticize those sort of moves, I don't I don't understand the disconnect because for the most part they're not unintelligent people. I mean, it's the Pat Forties and Pete the Mel's of the world who cover college football every day yet don't seem to understand basic premises like that. So uh, I'm, I I sort of rant, ranting a little bit there. I'm not sure what was the original question there there Brian. I think everything you said is in line with it. What was the question, though? Oh, it's just, I mean, do you think it counts as a loss? I, I, do you think it impacts his his seating as the coach of Florida State and his, and his tenure slash future ahead of him? No, that's silly. I mean, they 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 lost out on four 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 or five blue chip kids on signing day. If they had closed on half of them this would have been a top 10 class and that would have been a massive success after the absolute uh croak monsieur that was left behind by by sir willie taggart yeah that that's my takeaway take a look at at willie taggart's recruiting class by the way i I believe right now jackson state is actually ahead of him in the recruiting rankings oh fau yeah uh, he's he's he cratered fau too because lane kiffin he left them they won 11 games yeah, Willie Taggart he, is a turd of a coach. He's cratered two programs in a row. And and I, I don't I think people really I, I tweeted this the other day. I think people still really underestimate just how awful the roster that Norvell took over. The one that Willie inherited was much more talented than 55%. the one that Norvell took over. Right. 55%. Right. Yeah. And, and Florida State, I think, had won a national title in, in 20, 2013, around 60%, I think it was. So it slipped a little bit since since Jimbo. And that's on Jimbo. That's not on Willie Taggart. But whenever Norvell takes over, and it's 34%, and there's been zero development for several years, that's horrific. I think the only thing he really improved was the APR, I believe it was. Everything else was, was terrible. And one more thing on Taggart. I mean – Go look at the assistants that worked under Willie Taggart at Florida State and where they are now. They're all at FAU. They all followed him to FAU. FAU. If they have jobs. Walt Bell got fired. I don't even know if he has a job now after his – Yeah, he's uh, Indiana's offensive coordinator. Well, I mean – It's Indiana. Offensive coordinator three years ago. So what does that say about Willie Taggart? That everyone in who worked at Florida State in his two years is in a worse place now. Right. And whereas every program they've gone to is in a worse place now. I mean, who 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 are these people that do not see just how bad Willie Taggart was? Well, this is the problem with this is the problem with FSU Twitter. They're they're insane. And a lot of them are ignorant. And this this whole argument just refuses to die. And I get it because of the, you know, maybe the racial aspect of it. I read a whole article, you know, they got Tom McNation a shout out on ESPN earlier this year about it. I guess some of how I get it. Part of it is, is not fair. I get it. But, but, you know, a lot of people forget a lot of the other issues, the, the organizational issues, not having uh, anything ready for a kid when he shows up to an official visit, missing a walkthrough for your own team before a top 10 game. These are inexcusable issues that happen behind the scenes that have been pretty well documented now at this point. And it's really no excuse for even the national media much less a, a dedicated supposedly Florida State fan to not know these things. It's pretty common knowledge, open, not even a secret anymore. 
So that whole narrative needs to, it's, it's just has no basis in reality at this point. Um, and again, your point about going back and looking at the progress that, that uh, uh, Mike Norvell's teams have made and the, I would say it is linear um, regression that Taggart's teams were, you know, that downward slope that they were on. Uh, if Willie Taggart was still the coach of this team, I, I think they won two games last year. I mean, he would have gotten fired anyway. So um, and he's the reason why, look, it, it was bad when Jimbo Fisher left, you know, there was the, the offensive line was bad and the, and the program, the culture was toxic and the APR was really bad, but Taggart cratered everything else. And most damaging was the rest of the town on the roster and the hole that Mike Norbell walked into is extremely deep. And look, even if they only win seven games next year, that's clear progress from three to five to seven. It's very slow. And they're going to compare it to other, other guys around, around the country saying, oh, well, they took over this program, blah, blah, blah. And they went from five and seven to 10, 10 wins. It's not the same. It's just not the same. Florida State is in a very unique situation. And you cannot rush it. You just can't. I agree. Um, and one last thing on Tiger. The biggest reason he was fired, and it's not something that, you know, you hear talked about because it's not, you know, really public knowledge. If you were to look at the percentage of uh, fulfilled pledges in, let's say, November 2017, during the, you know, waning days of Jimbo's tenure, uh, and it was, you know, X percentage, and then you looked two years into Willie Taggart's tenure in November 2019, people weren't writing the checks they promised. Right. They weren't going to be able to pay for the program had they kept Willie Taggart. People stopped writing checks. And not just new checks. They stopped writing checks that they were supposed to be writing, that they promised, at a rate far below what normally unfulfilled pledges are. So, I mean, let's say... I'm just going to use, you know, round numbers. I don't, I, I don't have the exact figures, but let's say typically 10% of pledges go unfulfilled to a, to a booster program. Willie was probably doubling, tripling, quadrupling that by the end, uh, which is, <laughs> that's it. It's, it's that simple. I mean, financially you could not afford to keep Willie Taggart because he was going to destroy the financial state of the program with his absolute lack of, lack of success, the lack of faith boosters had in him. He handled boosters poorly. I mean, he he came out and it did the opposite of what Billy Napier is doing in Florida now. Billy Napier has gone out in his two weeks as Florida's head coach, and I'm not going to sit here and sing a Florida coach's praises, but he's, he did what Willie Taggart should have done at the beginning. Willie Taggart came out and said, this team isn't that far away from being a competitive team, mm-hmm. which probably wasn't completely inaccurate. There was some talent on the roster, and he got rid of them. Um, yep. But the problem is the ex- expectations were high. Uh, Billy Napier walked into a similar situation, a slightly declining talent um, from a pretty solid program, and said, look, it's going to take a while to get back to the standards that you know Gator football fans want to see. And Mike Norvell did that when he came in. And, and Mario Cristobal said that when he came in. I mean, and, and Nick Saban did that when he went to Alabama. I mean, it's you can't come into a program – make large change and expect to be successful immediately. And you can't set expectations to be successful immediately, or you're going to make people unhappy and they're going to stop writing checks and you're going to get fired. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, the, yeah, the it, whole story, the whole, sorry, the whole story about this, this era is, is it really, it revolves around perceptions and expectations. 
And, you know, it just, it is what it is. And I think I, I, the sooner that some people accept reality about, about what really happened with Willie Taggart and how awful his tenure really was and that it wasn't really anyone's fault, but his, uh, I mean, some of those things are outside of his control, but he had enough inside his control that, that there's just nothing left to be said at this point, I guess, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, and, and what I was going to say was exactly, I think, what you're, you went there. It's, it's perception is the difference. And, and, and like, obviously, I'm not, I'm not the guy to talk about Taggart's era. I'm not around the program at that point. But speaking generally, in his defense, or not even really in his defense, but in that realm, I absolutely see where you can look and say a white coach is getting a chance that a black coach, frankly, wouldn't in college football. We've seen it countless times. Obviously, as y'all, y'all have mentioned, specifically reported issues, outside of the on-field product that makes this little situation different. But it's also a program where you don't want to be the guy who follows the guy. Jimbo was the guy. If, if Mike Norvell has the same seasons he's having now, immediately after Jimbo leaves, obviously, you know, we're talking in a different perspective on the talent level and the thing. But the overall day-to-day fan who's not to this level is going to say, that guy's a clown. He's not Jimbo. Get him out of here. We should be at that level. That's what Florida State is. It, that's the reality of being the guy who follows the guy. Being the guy who follows the guy who follows the guy is added bonus. You don't have to be that. I mean, I think when you look at it and see you don't have to be Jimbo, just get us back closer because you know what it's like to be away from it now and you can get back closer. I do think, though, this does carry a bit on, on Norvell where – when that loss does happen, that upsets uh, the fan base. I think it will come back up. But then it goes to the question that Juan just brought up. Are people going to still write the, the people who write the checks? Are they still going to write the checks? And that's where the, the money is really going to be made. And the decisions are really going to come down to. I don't think this is a fireable offense. I don't think it's a, it's a message board fireable offense, obviously. But it's not a, a major strike. But it's going to end up in a list if and when there is the loss that starts the domino effect that direction. All great things to consider. Obviously, like we talked about, a, a crazy 48 hours uh, that'll probably have impacts on this program for years to come. Obviously, everyone's going to have effects for years to come. We'll see how it all pans out and if Travis Hunter is still at Jackson State. One more thing I want to get to before we wrap it up. Um something that we've been talking about within Tomahawk Nation, we're going to be doing uh, like a, a Twitter mega space probably coming up. Uh, maybe this Saturday, you're going to be listening to this on Friday, the 17th, I believe. Um, 17th. Yep. Yeah. So uh, be on the lookout, take a look at a, uh, take a look at the Tomahawk Nation, Twitter, uh, the Facebook. We're going to try to do a, we're like a, like a, a large Twitter space sort of deal. Um, We'll try to be on there. Uh, we'll have our fearless leader, Kerry Costadakis of Costadakis, on uh, doing that. So join us on there this weekend. Yeah, and I think we're taking the next two weeks off for holidays. I'm trying to line up. Um, I've been trying to line up interviews to kind of fill the time. Um, just haven't really panned out. Um, but we'll see as we head into January and whatnot. Maybe those will pan out and have special one-off episodes and things like that. But 
we'll do what we can to keep you updated. Obviously, we didn't expect this week to be as crazy as it turned out to be. Um, but hey, that's what we're here for, right? Sports. It's unpredictable. But for Brian, John, and Juan, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.